we don't have a problem with the apostles' doctrine. What we have is a challenge stepping into that demonstration of the doctrine where we move from this love for the word to a love for the deed. And I'm not talking about leaving one behind to apprehend the other. I'm talking about embracing word and deed. That's what God wants us to return to. That was how the apostles, when you look at what, you know, the Bible says, I believe it's in Acts chapter four, where it says all of Asia heard the word. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is where where the apostles had this partnership of, of word and deed, where the doctrine and demonstration demonstration came together where they didn't just preach the word but they practiced the word where they where they demonstrated the word welcome everyone today we are very blessed to be joined by charles robinette he is a powerful evangelist that has ministered all over the world and he's the author of radically apostolic in fact we're talking to him today from Europe after he's been traveling in Africa and throughout North America. So we're so blessed that he set his time aside to talk to us today. In our conversation, we talked about how he came to the Lord and answered the call to ministry, his advice to young leaders, how he started out writing Radically Apostolic, why the Spirit isn't poured out in the West to the same degree that it is elsewhere, and much more. I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend or someone you know that needs to hear it. They will for sure be blessed by it. As you're currently listening, you're probably not following. Following us is the best way to stay connected and not miss an episode. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, look to the top right for the plus sign. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube to check out our video content. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Brother Robinette. Oh, it's a high honor to be here. Thank you, sir, for the invitation. I saw that, uh, I think you, uh, did you record earlier for your podcast, Apostolic Mentoring? Uh, No, sir. Our podcast is 1 p.m. Eastern time, so we'll do that at 7 p.m. Norwegian time. Wow. And, and, And that goes out live, and then you record it and post it later as well? Yes, sir. We actually uh, do a live Zoom and a live Facebook. And then, of course, we post it to YouTube and to our podcast uh, at a later time, most of the time within the 24 hours. But I think I'm a week behind because we were in Ethiopia last week and I just could not get that that podcast uploaded. So um, (laughs) I will try to get that one up today. Yeah, I feel your pain. It uh depending on where you're at and the connection yes. levels uh yeah you just never know <laughs> especially when yes. you're traveling and and travel days travel days yeah. it makes it even more challenging because you can be you know in an airport trying to be live with your podcast and then you can't uh you don't really have the the bandwidth to get it uploaded and so then you mm. wait and you know how it is things just get away from you so i'm a week behind right now but don't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yours is yours is a bit more involved than mine. You you have a call and do it all live. Thankfully, uh, I'm able to pre-record this. In fact, this is our second <laughs> attempt at this one. But uh, <laughs> but we're well, so blessed to have you. I would have thought that the internet would be much better here in Norway than it was in Ethiopia. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. But uh, well, we're so <laughs> grateful to to have you uh, on the podcast. I just missed you in Sydney, or else this would have been something we tried to do in person. But uh, grateful that we were able to connect and and uh, get you on just to have this conversation. Uh, most people would know you, but for those who, who do not, I like to start out these conversations by getting to know the guests a little bit, a little bit about their background. Uh, we could see a little bit more of their worldview, that sort of thing. So if you don't mind, Brother Robinette, sharing a little bit about your story. Yes, sir. Well, um, I, my parents were actually uh, in the church until I was about five years old. So they came in the church, got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name. We were in Ypsilanti, Michigan when my parents were were in the church. And um, at about five years old, uh, for me, my parents backslid and moved to Chicago, Illinois. And so I was raised um, not in, in the church and not with any apostolic or Pentecostal background until I was about 14. Um, when I turned 14 years old, my parents um, were going through some really challenging times in Illinois, and we lived in downtown Chicago. My my dad owned a bar on the south side of Chicago, and they just went through some really challenging, um, just a challenging season. And there was this um, awakening that God brought them into where they realized they've got to get back in the church and so at about 14 years old, uh, my parents just packed us up and took us back to Ypsilanti, Michigan, where they had received the truth. And on a Sunday morning there in Ypsilanti, Michigan at the Apostolic Faith Church, which was pastored by uh, Bishop William Nix, um, on that Sunday morning, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. And from there... Uh, of course, I was raised in the church from the time I was 14 until till I was 18 when I joined the U.S. military. And once I joined the U.S. military, I kind of uh, pivoted away from the church for a small season and kind of got wrapped up just in the um, intense atmosphere of being in the U.S. military. And, um, but thank the Lord, I had a praying wife. Um, my wife was was praying for me. My family was praying for me. And and God spoke to a missionary in Germany. And that missionary got a hold of me uh, when I got uh, sent or stationed at Ramstein Air Base. That missionary got a hold of me, prayed me back through the Holy Ghost. And really, from the time I was 19 years old, um, I have been serving the Lord in the German-speaking nations uh, even while I was in the U.S. military, I was serving mm -hmm. the Lord um, in that local assembly in Lonstuhl, Germany. And then directly following that, we went straight into missions. Well, that's, a, that's an amazing story. And, and the fact that uh, you had those challenges at the end of your teenage years as you went into the military. and that Yes, sir. The place that you came back to the Lord was the place or in that area you ended up serving as missionaries later on, you and your wife. That's really cool. I, yeah, I hadn't heard you know, that part of your story. The, the part that I didn't tell, but you kind of alluded to it just now was when I joined the military, I was obviously running from God. And I literally, I left Bible school in Indianapolis, Indiana wow. to, and just went and joined the military just to get away from everything. I was dealing with so many things, just spiritually, emotionally, whatever you want to say. And when I joined the military running from God, um, 
I went through a lot of specialized training. And at the end of that training, our unit was being deployed to the Middle East. And my mama, who was still in the church at that time, uh, she got a ladies group together and they put a map on the floor and they got down and began to pray that God would divert my orders from the Middle East to our field of calling. And at the same time that this is happening, this missionary in Germany, Brother Arlie Enos, a great man of God, dear friend, he was, uh, the Lord just spoke to him in prayer and said, you need to go to the the airport in Frankfurt, Germany, and wait for a young man that's running from the Lord. And so this guy who'd never met me, um, my orders did get diverted by the prayers of my mama and these great women of God. I wound up being put on an airplane and sent to Germany without anybody knowing it. But the Lord had spoken to a missionary. And when I landed in Germany, I was waiting for my duffel bag there in baggage claim. And when I picked up my duffel bag, it was Arlie Enos that tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, are you Charles Robinette? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I heard you're running from God and I'm here to slow you down. And he put me in his car and drove me back to Lonstuhl, Germany and put me at an altar, prayed me back through the Holy Ghost. And then he took me to sign into my base. And so it was a just one miracle after another that mm. that allowed me to to get my feet my boots on the ground in the field of our calling but really it was the prayers of a mama a prayers of a wife it was the prayers of a missionary it was this this partnership of faith that that worked together with god to restore a a calling and restore a young man that just got a little sideways and so that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. You know, when you have the prayers of your family, prayers of your of your preacher, uh, it's pretty much impossible for you to miss out on the call of God. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're if you're open to it. And uh, Amen. Amen. Obviously, you you felt the call. Did you feel a call to preach? Is that why you ended up at IBC, or is this something that yes, sir. your parents encouraged yes, you to sir. do? Or? Yeah, you know, the same preacher that was preaching when I was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost uh, came back, I believe, when I was 16 years old. He was preaching another revival in our church in Ypsilanti. And when he began to to preach, there was just this this tremendous burden and weight and calling. And, and I think if we would all be transparent, we don't even know what that means. Um, you know, you feel this unction, this direction. I've got to do something in the kingdom, but you don't know what it is. You don't know what the cost is going to be like. And and in that ignorance of the call of God, you you you're not even sure what a yes means. But mm. I know that when I was laying on that floor and my mom was praying and my 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 pastor was praying for me and this evangelist was praying for me i knew that there was something that was drawing me into a deeper place than i had ever been before and so that calling led me to bible school it seemed like the natural step the mm -hmm. natural progression in the call of god was to study to show myself approved to have a doctrinal understanding to have a ministry understanding and so from that moment um, of the calling, I went to Bible school at 17 years old. Um, but in the ignorance of that calling, there was a lot of stuff that just got sideways in my mind, my emotions, my spirit, which led me to, to that terrible decision to run from God. And instead of seeking the counsel of godly leaders, I just, I just took 
the initiative and join the U.S. military. And if I could say anything to any young person right now, don't take the initiative and run from God. You just submit yourself to the man of God and he'll give you a little mm. better direction than going and joining some military. So. <laughs> yeah, you probably knew what the answer would be if you if Yes, you went to, I think yeah. you're right. I think I think we all know that as a fact, you know, when we when we're we my daughter just, you know, a funny, funny story just to share with you. There was a few maybe a year ago or something. She was on this group chat with a, a bunch of uh, young ladies. And I, you know how it is. Sometimes girls get a little catty and things got a little sideways and and uh, people started saying things they shouldn't say. And. Later on that afternoon, my daughter came to me and she said, she said, Daddy, I just need some counsel. I need you to talk to me and tell me what I should do about this situation. Well, she told me what was going on. And I told her, I said, baby, I said, whatever you do, do not respond. I said, this will never be a good situation if you if you get all catty and you respond and you say things that you want to say that you don't need to say. I said, it won't work out good and it will be a challenge to heal. And she said, oh, I knew you would say that. That's why I went ahead and said what I wanted to say. <laughs> and so I think we all as teenagers, we, we do things like that. We know what the preacher's going to say. Oh, yeah, we know what the yeah. man of God is going to say. We know what our parents are going to say. And we make that fateful decision to just do what we want. And then we have to all pick up the pieces. Hey, here's a, Here's a novel idea. Don't do what you want. Just listen to your parents. Listen to the man of God. Amen. Amen. Do, do what God wants rather than what you Amen. want. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you, you shared there a little bit about how you felt that initial call to IBC. And then obviously you had that amazing experience in Germany where you know God pulled you back on track. Do you have any advice that you would give to further than what you've already shared just now, but... Uh, to someone who is feeling the call to ministry, to who is wanting to progress in in their calling. Yes, sir. I think um, to me, if there was one thing that I could say that I believe would make the greatest difference in somebody's calling and and them making that calling and election certain in the in the Lord, is to stay close to the man of God. Don't let anything pull you away from your preacher. You stay loyal, you stay faithful, and you keep serving. Some of the greatest seasons of my life, and I know this sounds crazy, friend, all the places that, that we've been and the ministry opportunities God has allowed us to be a part of, just these tremendous privileges in his kingdom. But if I could maybe say one privilege that stands out above all the rest is every time that I went to my pastor's house to mow his lawn, to pull his weeds, to wash the car, to take his laundry to the dry cleaner, those moments where I was there alone around the man of God, serving him, pouring water on the hands of the prophet as Elisha did to Elijah, those those moments where you have that 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 complete attention of the man of God. I think that one of the things that maybe the generations coming behind us, um, 
maybe just neglect or or don't see as valuable as as they really are is that that moment of servanthood to the man of God. And I would challenge them if they feel called, if they feel this unction to do something in the kingdom of God, it does not. The call of God never draws you away from the man of God. The call of God should always draw you to the man of God. And and when you realize that, you should make yourself available. You should just avail yourself to the man of God, to the house of God, and be a servant uh, to the things of the Lord. That's how you excel in the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's good stuff. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question uh, since I have you on. And uh, I love having missionaries on the podcast. We've had a few. And uh, though you're you're moved into international evangelism a bit more but you were you were missionary for it was close to 20 years right uh well we were over in the german speaking nations almost 28 years sir 28 wow i didn't realize it was so long you look great for your age bro (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) that's what i was going for Do you, do you have any tips for anyone who who might be feeling the call to missions work or wanting to? Because this this podcast reaches out to people around the world in in all different stages of life. But if if they're feeling a call to missions work, do do you have any advice for them in particular? Yes, sir. Uh, and and I know I I frequently pivot back towards this, and and I'm certainly not trying to repeat myself. But I think when you start feeling that call of God to do something. In missions, my pastor used to say something that was amazing. I, I loved my pastor, uh, Brother Bill Nix. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Um, my pastor now is Brother Raymond Woodward. Uh, but uh, my my former pastor, he used to say, "The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest close at home." And I would challenge anybody who feels a call to do something globally. You need to prove that ministry by doing something significant locally. You need to lift the arms of your pastor. You need to lift the vision of that local church. You need to be evangelizing that local city. You need to be teaching Bible studies. I don't think anybody should ever apply to be a missionary who has never won a soul. If you cannot look around the church and see a multitude of people that you brought in because you taught Bible studies, because you knocked the door, because you witnessed to a friend, because you laid hands on the sick, if you can't see somebody in that local assembly that you have impacted their life with the truth, then friend, maybe you need to get yourself at an apostolic altar and revisit the call of God because a global calling is born in local calling of God. When you do the things of the Lord locally, you're always going to be drawn globally. And so I think it begins in a local ministry. It begins where you have fruit locally. It begins by taking this call of God to the man of God in your life and saying, Hey, I feel this. I don't know uh, what you feel. I don't, I want you to pray, Pastor, if you see, if it feels good in the Holy Ghost. That's what I say to my pastor, Brother Woodward. Whenever I ask him about something, I say, Pastor, you just tell me what seems good in the Holy Ghost. Mm. If you say yes, I'm going. If you say no, 
I'm staying. And that's how we ought to be in the kingdom of God. When you feel this calling, like I said, it never, the call of God globally never draws you away from your local pastor. Even if you become a missionary, your pastor is still your pastor. And so you don't want to get up that mindset that, well, now that I'm away, now that I'm out from underneath his, his shepherdship, I can do whatever I'm being called to do. That's not the kingdom. That's not kingdom ideology. That's not kingdom speaking. That's not kingdom mentality. That's not kingdom vision. The kingdom of God is always under authority. And so you want to keep yourself under that pastor. You need to submit that call for a global ministry to your local pastor. And when he says go, then the first step you're going to do is say, okay, pastor, where do you feel like I should go? What is going to be the best location? What's going to serve the kingdom best? What do you feel? Would You may feel something in your spirit and you can always tell your pastor, hey, I feel a, I feel this, this, I can't let get rid of this burden to, uh, who knows, Germany. I can't, I can't get rid of this burden. But pastor, you tell me, is it the right time to go to Germany? And you know, uh, dear friend, there have been times where I felt like I remember when my wife and I felt like God called us to Belgium and we called our pastor and said, pastor, God's God's speaking to us about the nation of Belgium. And our pastor said something to us. He said, you're right, but it's not now it's coming down the road. He said, God wants you to go somewhere else for two years. And our pastor gave us direction about a two year, maybe um, just a transition prior to taking that step to Belgium. And so I don't think that you should just get all excited about what you're feeling without confirming it with the man of God. Take that tremendous um, uh, step of submission to authority and watch how God opens up global doors. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, Brother Hunley said something similar. I can't remember if it was just in conversation or if he said it on the podcast here, but he said, you know, the, the drive and uh, the spiritual authority and all of that doesn't just appear when you land in the country. As you were talking about, right. you need to serve locally before you do anything globally. He's That's like, right. if you're not doing it at home, if you're not doing it in your own private time, it's not just going to magically right. appear just because you come into the country. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's so true. Mm. Now, I wanted to talk to you uh, about your book, uh, the book you, you just put out. Was it last year when, when you released, released it? it? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. sir. In January of last year. Radically, Radically apostolic. And I definitely recommend everyone uh, who listens to this podcast to get it. If you haven't already read it, I'm sure many that listen have already read the book. But um, what, what led you to write the book, Radically Apostolic? Yes, sir. Well, that's uh, that's quite a story, actually. Um, we had just returned to the field. Um, I believe it was in December 2000 or maybe October 2019. And so we had just returned to the field and we went to uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Initially, um, I had been serving as the general superintendent of the of the German speaking nations, which included Germany, Austria, Liechtenstein, and Switzerland. And as we returned back to the field after a deputation, our goal, of course, was to to uh, just travel amongst the German speaking nations to advance the kingdom vision for our fields and for the kingdom of God amongst the pastors and to. 
Um, you know, we were having this tremendous Trinitarian revival where, where whole churches were being converted and we were baptizing hundreds in Jesus name, uh, rebaptizing them in Jesus name all across our fields. And so we were having this great revival. So in this transition back to the field from deputation, we were going to start in Switzerland, work there three months, and then from there move to Germany for three months and so on and so forth. And so we got to the German speaking nations and went to Switzerland. And then all of a sudden in that beginning of 2020, COVID broke out and we were making a short trip to Berlin, Germany uh, to meet with some pastors and to have some meetings up there. And we land in Germany and all of a sudden the borders close, the airports close, Airbnbs are shut down. No more. You can't go anywhere. You are stuck. And so mm. for 18 months, we were stuck in a very restricted um, COVID atmosphere in northern Germany where all the stores closed. You couldn't go outside unless you you had these uh, PCR tests that you couldn't go grocery shopping without PCR tests. The churches were closed. You couldn't have gatherings. Um, you guys know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about in Australia. Australia was one of the most severe places when it came to the restrictions. Um, but Northern Germany was severe as well. And so in the midst of that, we're having church in our house. We're, we're limited on our travel. We can't go anywhere. We can't meet with ministers. And so in the midst of it, the Lord sat me down and said, um, I want you to write a book that will advance my vision for my people in this last hour. And so, um, you know, to be very transparent with you, friend, um, I don't have a lot of higher education. So I, I approached this writing the book idea rather fearfully. I thought, you know, who am I to write a book? I don't have the education for it. I don't have the um, you know, the experience for it. How can I do this? All of these great intellectuals write books, but, but I'm not that guy. Uh, but the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to put my vision in your mouth and I'm going to put my vision in your heart. And, and I want you to speak to the coming revival that I'm going to give my church. And so I sat down in the midst of COVID and uh, six to eight hours a day. Every day I sat down at the little table in that Airbnb and just began to write what the Lord said to me. And when I started this writing journey, the Lord literally gave me the title. He gave me the chapters and he told me right from the start, this is what you're going to write about. and This is how you're going to write it. And I just began to, to document, you know, what the Lord, what thus saith the Lord. So that's really how it's, you know, came about is the Lord sat me down and slowed me down. Probably if we had never had COVID, I would have never written a book because I was, you know, traveling hundreds of thousands of miles a year. I was so busy. I never had time for that. But in the midst of COVID, God sat me down and said, I'm going to give you a season where you're not too busy to do what I'm telling you to do. And so what does it mean, uh, to you, and I guess to the book, what does it mean to be radically apostolic? Well, I think there's this great kingdom calling to return, not just to the apostles' doctrine. We do that really well. 
We do have the apostles mm-hmm. doctrine. We love this doctrine. There's, there's nobody that can dispute that, that God's people globally, they love the oneness of God. They love repentance. They love water baptism in Jesus name. They love that being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And brother, we love holiness. These, this, this is not something that we don't have a problem with the apostles doctrine. What we have is a challenge stepping into that demonstration of the doctrine where we move from this love for the word to a love for the deed. And I'm not talking about leaving one behind to apprehend the other. I'm talking about embracing word and deed. That's what God wants us to return to. That was how the apostles, when you look at what, you know, the Bible says, I believe it's in Acts chapter four, where it says all of Asia heard the word. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is where, where the apostles had this partnership of, of word and deed, where the doctrine and death demonstration came together where they didn't just preach the word, but they practiced the word where they, where they demonstrated the word. And this is what God is calling us to. We have kind of gotten in this. Um, I want to be very um, kind. I'm not trying to be rude, but we've kind of gotten in this, this weird uh, situation where we just kind of have set back on our heels because we love the truth and we preach the truth. And well, that's good enough, but that's not good enough to reach this world until we demonstrate the truth on the street corners, until we demonstrate this, this truth in stadiums, until we demonstrate this truth, you know, where we're laying hands on the stick and they're recovering, where we speak the word and the dead get raised to life again until we are not just preaching the word, but demonstrating the word, we cannot be what the apostles were and what the apostles were was radically apostolic in word indeed. And so the calling for the church in this hour is to, to get off your heels and get on your toes, start moving forward, start practicing what we preach, start demonstrating what we preach, start acting like we believe what we say we believe. Lay hands on the sick and let's see them recover. When you look through the book of Acts, almost every single time there was a city-shaking revival that turned up, re- turned regions upside down. It was because there was a single believer or a partnership of faith of believers that took the gospel to the streets. They laid hands on the sick. You look at it, dear brother. Every single region-shaking, city-shaking, nation-shaking revival in the book of Acts was born by a believer who loved the word but practiced the word in the streets. And all of a sudden, people said, my goodness, whatever you have, it's not just word. We can see it with our own eyes, Mm. and we want to be a part of it. And God turned whole regions upside down to where the Bible says all of Asia heard the word. And that's what we are going to see in these last days as we become more radically apostolic, not just in word, but indeed, we are going to see entire cities receive the gospel, entire nations receive the gospel. We're going to see stadiums filled where millions are, are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name in cities all across the world, which is going to lead us to these billions of souls being added to the church. And brother, that is not a far-fetched statement. 
I'm not drinking too much coffee. When you read Revelation 7 and 9, the Bible literally says that when that trumpet sounds and we are gathered together to meet the Lord in the air, when you read that Revelation 7 and 9, it says there will be an innumerable host of people. That is, that is, I mean, how in the world can we get afraid of saying millions and billions when God is using the term innumerable? I think we ought to just step out in faith, mm. be radically apostolic. We ought to cast vision for bigger things. We ought to do greater things in the kingdom. We ought to start renting out stadiums and working cooperatively and collaboratively and in communication with one another so that we can do greater things in these last days, not just word, but deed. It's very important that we transition from a word only people to a word and deed people in God's kingdom. That's radically apostolic. Amen. And why do you think? Why do you think that, uh, especially in the West and Western society, that we don't see the Spirit of God moving? Like we we've seen examples, uh, I guess decades decades ago now, but uh, the revivals in Ethiopia, revivals. You know, I grew up hearing yes, those sir. stories. Revivals in Papua New Guinea for for uh, yes. those here in Australia. Huge revivals. Revivals in Thailand. We see that taking place, but it. It doesn't seem to, the Spirit of God doesn't seem to move at the same depth or at the same magnitude in Western society. Why do you think that is? I think there's a few reasons, um, but namely that the very first reason that I would say is in Western society, for whatever reason, obviously it's the spirit of the culture. It's the spirit of, of that Western, um, you know, society for us to have this lone ranger mentality. Okay. If the smoke isn't coming from our chimney, it didn't happen. We, mm. we don't like to celebrate each other. We don't like to help one another. If we're not having the revival, we don't want anybody having the revival. And so we have gotten in this mentality and I, I'm just being straightforward because that's the only way I know how to be. I'm not, I'm not one of those fluffy type of preachers where you just, um, that's not me. I'd just rather say things how they are. And so what, what I believe has been the challenge is we have gotten in this mentality that my goodness, if I celebrate my brother and he has great revival, then he's going to get ahead of me and, and he will advance and he will be first. And, and so our mindset is if I'm not first, everybody has to be last. So we don't lift anybody's arms. We don't celebrate anybody. We kind of resist the idea of cooperation, collaboration, and communication because we want to excel first. And this is where I believe God is bringing a massive kingdom transition in these last days, a transition back to this partnership of faith. When you look at the book of Acts, everything that happened, even the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people gathered in an upper room, right? The spirit of the Lord falls upon them. A whole city gathers around to see what's going on. Peter stands up and preaches. Yes, Peter preached, but the Bible says with the 11. So there was this partnership of faith where the other 11 disciples, apostles, they, they didn't feel jealous of Peter. They didn't feel like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? We're just going to stand off and, and we're not going to support him. We're not going to celebrate him. We're not going to acknowledge him. The smoke didn't come from our chimney. So we're not going to even report on this. 
And so, so, but you see something different in the apostles, a very radically apostolic behavior where it, when Peter stands up to preach, all of a sudden the 11 stand up with him and say, we got your back, bro. This isn't your victory. This is a kingdom victory. And when you succeed, we succeed. And when we succeed, the kingdom succeeds. And so they stand up together and all of a sudden 3,000 are added to the church from all over the world. These people that had gathered from all over the world, these Jews that had gathered from all over the world, there's a three thousand soul harvest because they work together in the partnership of faith take that even further as you go i mean almost every single instance in the book of acts you're not going to find too many um maybe philip when he meets the eunuch okay maybe philip was there was a lone ranger moment where god transports mm -hmm. him to a chariot where an ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of isaiah and he doesn't understand and and all of a sudden he expounds and preaches Christ out of Isaiah and and all of a sudden this this Ethiopian eunuch who is under the authority of Candace he's the the governor of the treasury basically and he he gets this revelation of Jesus and sees water and says what doth hinder and he gets baptized in Jesus name but immediately God takes Philip back but almost every other instance of outpouring in the book of Acts you see this partnership of faith mm. where it's Peter and John where it's Paul and Silas where it's all of these brethren working together to accomplish the kingdom work not their work not their chimneys being stoked so the fires coming brilliant brilliantly from them not so they're making a name for themselves but you have this beautiful radically apostolic partnership of faith that facilitates God's kingdom and not our own. And so I would say in these last days, God is trying to quicken us and to bring us together so that we can see greater things than these come to pass. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is that Haggai chapter two and nine, where the Bible says the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And so I was preaching about this yesterday in the Oslo Norway church, but, but the, the former house that he was talking about in this Haggai chapter two and nine, was the the tabernacle of Solomon this magnificent opulent crazy tabernacle that brings this queen of sheba which for a unique point of information she is from ethiopia as well and so here this queen of sheba comes from ethiopia to see this opulent magnificent tabernacle that she didn't even believe was real couldn't possibly be as great as she said, but it's this Ethiopian queen who comes to see the former house. And then in, in, you see this, this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading the book of Isaiah and gets the revelation of the mighty God in Jesus and, and gets this, the Bible doesn't say he was filled with the Holy Ghost, but the Bible does say that when he gets baptized in Jesus name, he goes on his way rejoicing. Only one thing can cause you to rejoice and it's the Holy Ghost. It's being filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And while the Bible does not specifically say he received the Holy Ghost, the Bible did say he went on with joy. And, uh, so, Interesting, the Queen of Sheba comes to see the former house, but the Ethiopian eunuch being the first Gentile to be baptized in Jesus' name came to see the latter house. And how beautiful is that? 
this this amazing thing. I think it's the fulfillment of Acts chapter two, where the Bible said these in in the last day, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But the Bible goes on to say that it's it's to all that are afar off. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that the former house brought the far off queen of Sheba from Ethiopia, but the latter house first brought this Ethiopian eunuch who was the furthest off as well. I think God is sending a message that it's for everybody everywhere. And so, yes, I believe this partnership of faith is critical to kingdom advancement. We have got to get out of this Western society mentality that says, do it by yourself, make a name for yourself. You got to be first in all things and you got to start thinking, how can I lift the arms of the pastors around me? How can we work together to do something bigger than we can do alone? What if we all got together and what if each section, what if each area of Australia just said, hey, you know what? We're going to rent a stadium. We're going to bring all of our people together. And and every quarter, we're going to do a Holy Ghost outpouring that serves a new section. We don't care if you have a thousand get the Holy Ghost because next month's going to be our month. And we just come together in this cooperation, collaboration, communication, partnership of faith to build the kingdom of God. I believe we're going to see that happen in these last days. I believe there's a generation coming up behind us that's saying, we don't care who gets the credit. Mm. We just want to fill stadiums. We don't care who gets the credit. We just want to reach billions. Let's do this together. Yeah, I think further to what you're talking about, uh, uh, my wife and I were starting a church uh, uh, on the Central Coast. It's about an hour north of Sydney. And we're following the launch model in North American Missions. Uh, yes. And and they were talking about um, how in the past <laughs> they called it the parachute model where they would just send yes. in one family or, or one minister yes. and, and they would parachute in a town and try and start a work from scratch. But now they yes. transition to this model, which is more team focused and you, and yes. you go with a, an entire team. Now, of course, yes. you're talking on a more regional level, but even on, on the local level, I myself, you know, we're very new into this, but I'm seeing the great benefit of of having a team, yes. having a team around yes. you, and you're not doing it all yourself. It's so much yes. easier to advance the kingdom if you got other people there working beside yeah. you, working alongside you. Well, it's what Jesus did. I mm. mean, it's not like we're doing so, it's not like it's a novel idea. Hey, let's work together. I mean, <laughs> Jesus literally sent them out two by two. I mean, he didn't send wherever he was going to come himself. He sent two people. Hmm. So he sent a team. He sent a partnership of faith to advance the kingdom of God. Brother, we got to bury this, this Western society spirit that is telling us to do it by ourselves. We've got to get rid of that. It has hijacked kingdom advancement and kingdom multiplication. And we've got to take back control and say, man, I just want to lift the arms of my brother. I, mm. I don't care who gets the credit. My goodness, preach on the day of Pentecost, Peter. We'll stand with you. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, is, you talk about it in your book, is about seeding the atmosphere um, with prophecy, yes. with expectation. And and I've yes. noticed you, 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 you do that purposefully when you preach 
uh, when you minister, when, mm-hmm. when you're on a podcast, uh, you've done it even in this conversation when you're talking about yes, seeing millions receive the Holy Spirit, billions, yes, in sir. fact. Can, can you unpack that? What do you mean by uh, seeding the atmosphere? Yes, sir. Well, really, you know, uh, just uh, again, I'm not trying to pick at anything, but, you know, frequently we we have a problem. Um, I think part of the problem of the multiplication is the kingdom is that we are critical of every good report that we hear. Okay, it goes back to that. The smoke isn't coming from my chimney mentality. And so we don't celebrate it. We don't repost it. We don't retweet it. We don't we don't share it uh, because, you know what, we don't want anybody to get ahead of us. And so I think it's very important that when we have a I think this is a something we should think about when we have a problem with a kingdom report. The problem isn't with the report. The problem is with the word of God. Because the Bible tells us, so we have these prophetic words of God, Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. It shall come to pass in the last days, say of God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Haggai 2 and 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, these signs shall follow them that believe. I mean, we have all of these prophetic declarations of the Lord himself, these things that God has said, this spiritual seed that must bear fruit. When you look at Isaiah chapter 43, I mean, Isaiah chapter 55, where the Bible said, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void. So God himself made this declaration. My word is not going to be empty. It's not going to have no effect. It's not going to fail to produce. It's not going to fail to multiply, to increase, to enlarge, to advance territory. So I think it's very important that the kingdom of God, kingdom people, that we begin to see the atmosphere with kingdom words. And one of the things that I like to do is I have a list of prophetic words that that the Lord himself has spoken. These are not mine. This is God's word. This is the word that cannot return void. My word can return void, but God's word cannot return void. So I like to take these prophetic words that God has spoken. And when I get up, I like to prophesy them. I like to speak them. Um, I like to declare them into the atmosphere. What am I doing? I'm reminding God of what he said. I'm reminding the Lord, you have said this. I'm expecting you to not just do this, but I'm expecting you to do it greater because you said that it would be greater works than these. So you have spoken all these things. You've done all these things. You've seeded all this atmosphere. But God, I am prophetically declaring this to be greater than it's ever been before. So I would encourage every listener, get a list of Bible prophecies, get a list of kingdom prophetic utterances that are that are important to you, that are important to the kingdom, that are important to your city, that are important to your church. And when you begin to go into prayer, don't ask God for anything. You prophesy those prophetic words, begin to speak that which is not as if it already is. Don't Ask God for what he's already promised you, because when you ask God for what he's already said belongs to you, you are telling the devil, I don't have it and I don't know how to get it. But if you begin to prophesy 
what God has already said you own when you begin to take possession of it by seeding the atmosphere with it. Look, a farmer does not sow seed without the expectation of multiplication of fruit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go out there and waste his time and just be like, well, nothing's going to happen, but I'm going to waste my money. That doesn't happen. And we should not be that way in the kingdom either. We ought to take the word of God into our mouths and we ought to begin to throw it into the atmosphere, not without faith, not without expectation, but with the certainty that this is going to bear fruit. The words that God has spoken shall bear fruit. The moment they hit the atmosphere, it's coming to pass, whether it's Norway, Australia, Papua New Guinea, whether it's Ethiopia, doesn't matter where it is. When you begin to pray prophetically the words of God, you are declaring to the spirit realm, I'm about to have a harvest and it's not going to be small. It's going to be greater works than these. So one of the things I love to do is prophesy those promises on a daily basis. I love to get those promises. Even when I'm preaching, you said it, brother. Mm. I like to prophesy the prophetic word of God. I like to see the atmosphere with the things that he has promised because his word can't return void. So when I step into a pulpit and I begin to declare his word, there is that expectation, that certainty that what I just said shall come to pass because it's not me, it's him. Mm. And and you have a, a list of that in your in your book, in right? I do, I do, and that's just some of the some of the my favorite prophecies yeah, yeah. Uh, that I like uh, that are in my book. But um, uh, yes, you know, uh, but everybody's unique, and so there may be things that you value and that just speak to you and speak to your spirit and speak to your area. It's things that you have been waiting to see come to pass, spoken words that you have been hanging on. Start prophesying mm. those. Dust them off. You know, I, I bet there's pastors that listen to your podcast, dear brother, that have had prophetic words spoken over their mm-hmm. cities, their nations, their their regions, that for some reason, because they didn't see it right away, they just put it on a shelf and it collected dust. Why don't you take that off the shelf, dust it off and start speaking it again and watch how God brings it to pass. Amen. His word won't return void. In, it in can't. Amen. It can't. Amen. Well, not to... Uh, turn the conversation too much, but uh, you talked a little bit uh, at the beginning about how um, you know you're on the mission field for 28 years, 29 years, mm-hmm. and then there was this big transition that took place uh, for yes, you sir. and your family. Um, how did how did you get through that process dealing with um, this thing that was something that you expected to? I, I've heard you talk about it in the past. You know, saying. Yeah that this was something you expected to do in, until you, you, you died or retired or whatever, yeah. uh, being a missionary in that region. Yeah. How did you deal with, with that coming to an end and then transitioning to this, yeah. this new normal for you? But, I mean, you don't know exactly how long this season's going to last and, and what the future sure. holds. Sure. And, you know, um, you know, what people, most people don't know is that we – uh, have always had, well, for the last 10 years, maybe 12 now, for 12 years, we have carried um, multiple global missions appointments. We were appointed as missionaries to Germany, missionaries to Austria, missionaries to Liechtenstein, missionaries to Switzerland. 
And we also carried a global missions missionary appointment to international evangelists for the last 12 years. So we have carried five appointments um, for quite a while. And during that time, uh, also, we served as the general superintendent for the German speaking nations for 12 years. We started the Bible school in the German speaking nations, uh, AMTC, um, started that Bible school um, for, well, goodness, that was running for almost, I guess, 20 years. Um, and so there was a lot that we were doing, pastoring a church in Vienna, Austria, pastoring a church in Bonn, Germany, uh, starting churches in other areas. So there was a lot that we were carrying. And so we have felt this transition to be more laser focused on kingdom advancement and kingdom multiplication for about a decade. Mm. But like I said, in the beginning of this call, there were multiple times that I went to my pastor and my wife and I came to brother Woodward and said, you know, brother Woodward, we just feel like there's a transition coming, but we're just not sure. And, and each time we came to our pastor, he said, it's just not now, Brother Robinette. Yes, there's a transition coming, but you need to stay in the German speaking nations. It's not yet. And so for, for many seasons, you know, we would go to our pastor and say, we're starting to feel this. And our pastor would say, go back to work. And then we would submit and go back to work. And so it would have been in April uh, of 2021. Uh, I was in the nation of the Congo and we were preaching for four Trinitarian organizations. And we had had a great harvest of Trinitarians. Well over 500 Trinitarians were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And um, we rebaptized many multitudes in Jesus name. Um, and in the midst of that, I believe it was on a Sunday night in Congo, I called Brother Woodward on a Zoom call with my wife. And I said, Brother Woodward, I just, I don't know why, but I feel this, this certainty that the Lord said this transition away from the German speaking nations and full time as a global missionary, as an international evangelist, I feel like it's now. And my pastor, my pastor immediately said, you're right. The time is now. And he knew it was right. My precious wife knew it was the right time. The Lord had been speaking to her already in prayer, and she had not yet told me this, but the Lord had told her, this is the season, and it's time for you to step away from where your heart is, where your soul has been for, for decades, where your babies were born, where all of, all of this thing. Well, I'm not going to kid you, and I'm certainly not going to, to hide the reality of no matter what the transition is. Doesn't matter, even if you are 100% in the will of God, every kingdom transition is emotional and every kingdom transition is difficult. And when we made this transition from 28 years in the European region to uh, being required to move back to North America, that's part of the requirement of being an appointed missionary to international evangelism. You have to base out of North America. Um, friend, I'll be straight with you. We have cried so many tears. Um, my daughters have cried so many tears. My wife has cried so many tears. And um, of course, here we are going back next week to Germany um, to be present at the German General Conference um, to revisit. And we have to revisit some of these emotions uh, revisit some of these feelings and, and re-experience the transition again. That's not an easy thing. It's a, 
it's a challenge. And even this week, as we've been in Norway, um, you know, my daughters and my wife have, have dealt with some emotions, knowing that we're two days away from being boots on the ground back in Germany and revisiting some of these feelings and revisiting this transition. So I would say how we have endured this transition is certainly having our pastor in our life to be constantly there praying for us, encouraging us, uh, helping us. A part of that transition was also choosing a good base. And the Lord directed us with our pastor's permission to to base out of Columbus, Ohio, out of Bishop Jim Stark and Pastor Jimmy Stark's church. A wonderful, great church, Calvary Apostolic Church. Uh, matter of fact, I've been traveling with Bishop Stark all over the world for decades, back to the Ethiopia days. I was going to Ethiopia with Bishop Stark. Um, so we have this longstanding relationship. And so finding a good church, having a great pastor, my pastor, Brother Woodward, just helping us, encouraging us, strengthening us, and really as a family, uh, being open to talk about it, communicating about our feelings, not burying them, not hiding them, not acting like they're not there, not acting like they're not real, but talking about those feelings and addressing them head on. That's the only way that you can endure kingdom transitions. Even great kingdom transitions bring mm. uh, tremendous um, just tears and emotions. So, um so, yeah, it's a challenge, but we're right where God wants us to be. We know the Lord has spoken to us. And and just to give you a perspective on this, dear friend, and maybe your listeners a perspective, um, obviously we saw multitudes being added to the church in the German-speaking nations, multitudes of Trinitarians. We had that great Muslim revival where in one year, I think it was 159 Muslims were baptized in Jesus' name, over 100 filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. But last year, when we made this transition to full-time international evangelists in our global harvest ministry, we saw nearly 30,000 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we went from a great harvest in the German speaking nations and a tremendous uh, burden there that has not lifted. We still love the German speaking nations, still love Western Europe. But when we transitioned and obeyed the voice of God and obeyed the counsel of our pastor and went full time into this international evangelism, God allowed that obedience to produce multiplication. And so we went from, from thousands to tens of thousands in one year. And this coming year, we're expecting to see tens of thousands more. And so, you know, just be obedient to the call of mm. God. It's, it won't be void of emotion. It won't be void without transition that hurts. But if you submit, God will lead you into multiplication. And it's going to be a blessing for the kingdom. Yeah, I, I believe that answer will definitely be helpful to some people who are going through transition. And, um, you know, I could talk to you for hours. There's <laughs> so many different things. Me too. Uh, I love these type of things. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, uh, you know, just going down the military rabbit hole and, and uh, your background <laughs> there. And I'll just all, so many different things that I could talk to you about for, for ages. Um, I do want to get to this very last question before we finish up here. Because uh, I do like to ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast. What is it that drives you when it comes to ministry? What is it that is that driving force for you? The promises of God. Mm -hmm. I have this enduring um, expectation that God will do everything that he said. 
And I do not want to see anything less than everything God said. I don't want the church to experience anything less than what God said he would do. I don't want the global army of the Lord that is all over this world to settle for anything less, to be on their heels when they should be on their toes, advancing and multiplying in the kingdom of God. So I have this enduring expectation that God's word cannot return void. And so there is this um, hunger in me. I want to see everything the apostles saw, but greater. I have no, there's not an ounce of me that is willing to settle for seeing just what Paul saw or just what Peter saw. If I don't see it greater, I'm going to be angry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see greater things than these and greater works than these. I want to see this latter house have greater than the former. And so I get up every day with a hunger for more. I get up every day for a, a desire and enduring just, um, just expectation that today I'm going to see another example of God keeping his word. So I, I'm, I'm just full of faith. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for God to do something great in, in every single apostolic all around the world. And all I want to do is lift their arms and see them do it. Amen. Well, this has been a tremendous time together. We're so grateful that you set it aside. Uh, I know you're a very busy man and, and you got a lot on your plate. So thank you again for, for joining us on the podcast. I do like to finish off all these conversations by giving the guests the, the final word, uh, the closing word. So if you don't mind, uh, Brother Robinette, just uh, finish off this conversation by whatever the Lord has led you to share to the audience. Thank you again for your time here today. Yes, sir. What a great honor to be with you, dear friend. I feel so humbled. Thank you for the invitation. I thank God for your ministry. I thank God for how God is using your this this burden for this podcast to advance his kingdom vision and kingdom principles around the world. So I give honor to you as well, and I thank you for what you do. But I would just tell every single listener, every viewer, however, whatever platform you watch or listen to this on, I would just want to tell you there's 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 four things, four things that I, I am death on. I, I believe strongly that in these last days, God is calling us to a greater measure of the partnership of faith. Do not let the enemy seed your spirit with this crazy, um, just demonic mentality of doing things on your own. As, as our dear brother said, there, you can do so much more with a team. It's, it's important that we work together in the partnership of faith. And what I mean by that is don't shun cooperation. Don't shun collaboration and don't shun communication. When you shut yourself off from each other, you shut yourself off from the greatness of the kingdom. Do everything in your power to work together with your fellow brother in Christ, with your fellow minister of the gospel, with the fellow pastor across town, with all of the ministers in your section, region, nation, and around the world. Find a way to work past and work through every challenge, every difficulty, so that we can see billions added to the church in these last days. Fight the spirit of this world and stand for truth. And God is going to advance us and multiply us in ways we can't even imagine. God bless you all. I love you dearly.